You're listening to the Strong Towns Podcast. Hey, everybody. This is Chuck Marone with Strong Towns. Welcome to the uh, championship round of our 2019 Strongest Town Contest. We began three weeks ago with 16 different cities that had entered our contest. I think we actually started with quite a few more than that, but we narrowed it down here internally to 16. We've now gone through three rounds where we went down to eight and then four, and now we are down to the last two. Uh, Your voting has been a, a huge part of this. Uh, both our members voting and uh, and people interested in these communities. And we are down to two very exciting places, places that for the first time ever in the history of our contest, I have actually been to and can vouch for uh, how great these places are. So I'm, I'm going to start with uh, Portsmouth, where I was last week, and introduce to you uh, Nancy Pearson. Nancy is here representing the city of Portsmouth. Welcome to uh, the Strong Towns Strongest Town Contest. Well, hello, Chuck. I'm so glad to be here. And I just want to say a huge um, hello and thank you to uh, Reading, California, and to New Rochelle, New York, and Safety Harbor, Florida, because man, that was that was tough competition. And um, it was a lot of fun and encourage um, representatives and people from all of those communities to come visit Portsmouth. And I'd love to show you around my town. You did have some great competition, and, and actually, for Strong, as you have done, your wins were really close a couple times. Uh, very, very good. Thank you so much. You bet. Um, from Pensacola, Florida, uh, a place that I not only adore, but particularly this week when here in Minnesota we're going to get six inches of snow, uh, it's nice to welcome uh, back my friend, uh, Quint Studer, Quint, welcome to the championship round of the Strongest Town Tournament. Well, thank you. Um, we're, we're sort of been excited about the contest. I think it's engaged our community, which is a big part of what we try to do, civic engagement. And um, we're excited about, about this week. This has been a lot of fun. And Pensacola actually trounced in the last round, uh, but uh, has also faced some pretty stiff competition. It's been, a, it's been really great to see uh, the people there kind of rally around this. I've seen a lot in the paper and a lot in the community dialogue. So we're excited that you're here and that you, uh, you made it to the final round. Um, We've been real lucky to have um, such good media support in this whole contest. The News Journal, The Independent, and others. Absolutely. I, I want to give you both an opportunity to talk about your community. And so I, I'm going to start with you, Quint. I'm going to um, let you kind of talk about uh, Pensacola itself, why you're uh, excited about it, uh, why you think it, it makes for a strong town. And, uh, and then, Nancy, I'm going to come over and let you answer the same question. So, Quint, if you could get us started, uh, what, what makes Pensacola a strong town? I think today it's our metrics. I think, you know, it's anecdotal. I talk to other communities and they'll say we have a good quality of life. Of course, every community feels they have a good quality of life. And then they'll throw a caveat on you know, if you're married, if you're not single, if you're a certain age. And I think we've done a good job measuring. You know, some years back in 2008, we started using Mason-Dixon to measure quality of life. So we have objective measurement. We went from a 27% um, people feeling we're moving in the right direction to in the low 60s. And I think 
probably you, you top out around 70 because you're going to have about 30 percent of your people aren't going to like it um our population which i think is the key of do you have a good quality of life are you growing in population that we've seen both our city and county grow after decline for many years um and then the other point is um investment you know we've really done some good infill investment as you talk about all the time um within the um Downtown, our assessed property value now has gone up in the last five years over 34%, and investment has gone up 67%. And I think that's really vital. And of course, that all neat thing is we're keeping much more of our young talent home and getting some of our young talent back. So I think those are some of the metrics that excite us because um, I think people look at where do I want to live and where do I want to invest, and we've seen some uh, really good improvement in all those areas. Um, yes, if you could adjust your mic, you're a little bit hard to hear. Who's hard to hear? Uh, if you could adjust yeah. your, mic, your mic a little bit, your headset. Right there. There you go. Nancy, I'm going to throw it back to you and, and have you answer the same question. What, what makes Portsmouth uh, a strong town? Well, I think it has a lot to do with the fact that we're about to celebrate our 400th anniversary in 2023. That's when the European settlers came and that's when we started our recorded history. And Portsmouth has been uh, adapting and reinventing itself for 400 years. In some ways, we've always remained the same. We started off as a fishing village and a seaport. And we are still that. We still have a fishing fleet. We are still a seaport. We were a shipbuilding city, and now we're a nuclear submarine building city. But along the way, you know, we've had to adapt and change with the times. We had a great economy in the beginning, and then during the Industrial Revolution, industry went literally upstream to the mill towns, and Portsmouth was wondering, you know, then what do we do? And um, it. it pivoted and became a really strong military town. We have the um, oldest continually operating uh, Navy shipyard in the country. At the time we had the Coast Guard course and an Air Force base and things were going along really well. Portsmouth was gritty, uh, filled with sailors and airmen and, and not a place that you'd really wanna go in the downtown with your family like you do today. But then the air, air base closed, Pease Air Force Base closed and Portsmouth was left with thousands of jobs, you know, overnight gone. And now what do we do? And over time, it, be, it shifted, it changed itself again. It became a, a really focused on historic preservation, arts and culture. We are arguably the arts and cultural mecca of, of Northern New England, uh, New Hampshire for sure. Um, and then it started to court business, corporate technology. So I think we're in a new phase right now where we're measuring you know, growth in the 21st century practices of placemaking and planning and walkability, but, you know, against the backdrop of this magnificent, you know, we're on a fifth decade now, I'm sorry, fifth century now of, of existing and, and how do we adapt and pivot and, and meet these 21st century challenges while really maintaining that character, that charm of our historic, you know, downtown walkable city with architecture that spans, you know, four centuries. So um, we're unique. We're, we're a hub for all kinds of things, not, not just the things that I mentioned, arts, you know, culture, history. We're a jobs mecca. We're a regional hub for public and affordable housing, um, not workforce housing, but we have the most public housing in the region. We, we have, you know, the largest food pantry. We have uh, the recovery and addiction center of the 
region. We have the biggest senior center of the region. So people are coming into Portsmouth for all kinds of reasons. We have to speak a lot of languages in a lot of different communities. And um, for a city of 21,000 people, that can be challenging, but I just think we're up for the challenge and I can't wait to see the rest of the 21st century. I'm going to uh, pass it to Daniel after I ask you each a uh, one question. I'm going to, I want to probe a little bit about how things in your community have changed over the last 20 years. I'm going to start with you, Nancy. Uh, I just literally got back from Portsmouth last week. I was there uh, as part of a, a larger event across New Hampshire that ended in Portsmouth and we had a, a great engagement. Uh, I, I really loved the historic character of your downtown, the old buildings, uh, the old uh, kind of fabric that was there. The surrounding neighborhoods are just gorgeous. Um, but I was looking at it as a, a point in time. How has this place changed over the last couple of decades? What are some of the things that have been happening, particularly in the downtown and the surrounding neighborhoods, uh, that have made it uh, a, a more special place, a place that uh, you're very proud of? Well, we've seen a lot of a lot of development, unlike not unlike the rest of the eastern seaboard and cities across the country. We're in an unprecedented period of growth in Portsmouth and and beyond. That has been, I think, a challenge and also, again, it's been an opportunity to discover our community and our resiliency. Um, if you think about our cities, for example, our master plan, um, where by extension our, our land use policies and our zoning are, are, are integral to that plan, we focus on five major areas, um, vibrancy, adaptability, connectivity, diversity and resiliency. And it always keeps us in check, I think, to remember how do we, again, balance this, this growth, this you know, influx of people. And, and when I say people, what, what, what I really mean by growth is Portsmouth, long before many of us who were even sitting on this current city council were born, we, we experienced um, a quite devastating uh, urban renewal project, which, which pretty much bulldozed the northern neighborhood of our downtown. And those lots sat empty for, for decades. And uh, over the last decade or more, we've started to see, and especially since the end of the Great Recession, we've started to see those empty lots that we all got used to being empty for years and years. For some of us, our whole experience with Portsmouth has been those empty lots. We're seeing them get filled in. And, and, and some of the projects are pretty big. And we've had an opportunity to sort of look at and react to uh, projects in our zoning. We've, um, since I've been on the city council, we've gone in and I think we've course corrected a little. There was, I think Portsmouth caught, was caught a little off guard in terms of our zoning policies and what could happen with the buildings getting a little bit um, out of character and mass and scale. We've, we've pulled that back in. And again, if we focus on these, these characteristics, I think that our policies are more in line uh, now with what the original city and how it was how it was developed with our projects now to see if we can get some affordable housing some public spaces in exchange for some of that you know mass and scale that an urban an urban core needs but, but what are we comfortable with in our community so so it was a little, it's been a little challenging for Portsmouth. And um, as you discovered, Chuck, we've got some great community 
uh, organizations that they're not municipally led, they're not state city staff, these are community members who came together and formed a group um, that's looking into all of the best practices in terms of planning and growth and walkability and, and transportation and how can we implement some of these best practices in Portsmouth. So I think it's been a really good learning experience and I think that you know, again, we're finding that balance. I'm not going to say we always did it great, but I think we learned a lot. It was like a crash course over the last few years, and, and I think we're headed in a in a really good direction to to help us again pivot and adapt and, and move forward. That's fantastic. Thank you, Nancy. I, I I agree. I think there's a lot of fantastic things going on, Quint. Um, I got to spend some time in the, your downtown in Pensacola uh, and in some of the surrounding neighborhoods. And it was interesting walking down the street with you, having you stop and pick up trash that had inadvertently fallen. And, and that was something that I saw a lot of people taking pride in the place. Uh, there was a lot of life and a lot of energy there. Uh, but my understanding is it wasn't always that way. Can, can you talk a little bit about the last couple of decades in Pensacola and the downtown and the surrounding neighborhoods and, and what some of the changes there have looked like? Sure. Um, am I unmuted? Yeah, you're unmuted. You're good. We can hear you great. Thank you. And we do. We have, you know, the first European settlement. We have the Navy base here. But, you know, sometimes those things, you get just so busy living in the past, you're not looking at the future. And one of the things we have to do is adapt to the fact that even though we have military and we have history, does that keep our young talent and does that keep our young people here? We also have tours. In fact, people come up to me and say, well, no wonder Pensacola is successful. You got this nice climate, you got white beaches, and you got the Navy. I said, we had those same things when we were struggling. So, so 20 years ago, if you, were, if you were working downtown, you got out by 5 p.m. But your employer told you to exit by 5 p.m. Because um, it wasn't really a great place to see. There were some things, but not a lot. Um, we had empty intersections. Many places, you know, mall started, retail went there, boarded up. Um, if there was something on the first floor, it was not something that created foot traffic. So, about 2005 or so, um, I got to know Gallup, Jim Clifton, and he talked about why some cities thrive and some don't. And he really talked about you can do intentional things, and intentional things were making sure you keep the local businesses that are currently there that are getting revenue from out of town. We've really worked hard for it.
And I think that's been the biggest push to get the residents, the residents downtown. And I think the other thing um, we really have done is really worked hard on civic engagement. You know, every month we have a, a monthly program, whether it's you or Tosi or Jeff Speck or Tom Murphy or Ed McMahon come in. I think we've really raised our, our civic IQ. And so that's really what we've, we've looked at. We love to live in the past, but we've got to get moving into the, the future. And that means we've got to create a great place for for young people. So we looked at, do we have a music venue? No. Nope. Do we have one? Do we have a bookstore? No. Nope. So we got to get one of those. Do we have coffee shops? So I think we've really intentionally looked at, what do you do to create quality of life? Not only for young people, but it seems like our research shows, if you create it for young people, everybody sort of likes the same amenities. Exactly. Yep. Thank you. Um, I, I'm going to turn over to Daniel here. Daniel is our, our content manager at Strong Towns. And he has been running the contest this year, done a fantastic job uh, with getting us to where we are. So, Daniel, I know you've got a couple questions for our, our entrance. Uh, please. Sure, I do. Um, I do want to say real quick, Quint, um, a number of the attendees are telling me in the chat that they're still having trouble hearing you. Um, so when you talk, if you can make sure your microphone is right in front of your mouth. Yeah, I'm thinking the mic might not be working, maybe because their headset's plugged in. I wonder if I should just talk in the computer because it's pretty much touching my lips. Hmm. Like the mic I'm talking into might not be the right one hooked up. I apologize. Let me, let me just try this. Um, is, this any, is this any better or is it not good at all? That's, that's better, I think. Okay, thank you. Yeah, people, I've got other people saying on the chat that it's better too. Yeah, so we'll it's, that. it's better that way, Quint. Stick with okay. that. <laughs> um, so I wanted to ask a couple questions. This is something we do every year in this um, webcast is we bring in a couple of the questions from our Strong Town Strength Test, which is something that um, came out of an article that Chuck actually wrote a few years ago um, on the Strong Town's website. And it was an attempt to sort of come up with a list of indicators that um, you're doing some of the right things to ensure long-term resilience and financial strength for your city. Um, and they're things that maybe aren't direct measures of that financial strength. You know, they're not things that are, um, you know, coming out of a deep dive into the city's budget, but they are these more indirect kind of telling indicators of a strong town. Um, and we've found it to be a useful list for communicating what we're all about. Um, and I wanted to put a couple of those to you guys. Um, um, and there isn't a right or wrong answer here, but there are ways of looking at, um, you know, how are you looking at doing the little things that are going to ensure long-term um, financial productivity and quality of life and um, incremental improvement for your city. Um, so the first strength test question, I'm just kind of cherry picking a couple out of the 10. Um, the first strength test question that I would put to both of you, um, and Quint, why don't you go first with this one, is um, imagine that your favorite street in town didn't exist. Um, under your current rules and regulations, could it be built today? Well, I, I think that's one of the things, sure, it could be built today, but I, I think that's one of the big changes we've had to make. We just put in an overlay district for the first time, for example. We now have a Vooner. That Vooner is a living street, so we actually, one of our streets have a tree right in the middle of our street. I think just like Portsmouth was talking about, that, that's one of the changes you have to make. You have to start being okay with taking parallel parking spots and letting restaurants put tables there. So that's one of the things I think 
we have been challenged with as we go is adjusting. In fact, we're looking at the vacant land right now, and the people we brought in said, just be assured we're going to always have to change some zoning, some rules, because our, our community had to get used to taking out lanes and slowing down traffic. It had to get used to changing how we do parking requirements. Almost everything Chuck's written about, we've been through and had, had to go through. But one, one last thing about indicators, I, I think our most exciting indicator we're working on is kindergarten readiness. And we, we discovered this by accident, and the University of Chicago has now confirmed that a long-term economic indicator is how many children do you have ready for kindergarten. So one of the things we're most excited about is our goal to be the best, the first early learning city in the United States with the work we're doing with mothers when they have a baby educate them on brain development. So that's an indicator that doesn't get a lot of attention, which I think we're most excited about here. Very cool. Yeah. Um, Nancy, what would, you know, you talked a bit about Portsmouth's challenges with new development and the scale of it and a desire to um, honor what the, the long history of your community and the character that residents want. So I'd put that same question to you. You know, you've got this 400-year-old town center, and what would it take to expand on that pattern and recreate that today? And what steps has Portsmouth taken? To well, we'd all have to go back to riding horses and <laughs> because that's how our streets were built. They're one lane. You know, our favorite. You know, the best streets in Portsmouth that people come to see are one-lane streets with the buildings literally right on the street. Sometimes there's not even a sidewalk. So do we want to recreate that? Probably not for a lot of reasons, but the essence of those streets, the essence of the density, the, the closeness, the, the, the walkability, the ability to see the buildings really close, up close and, and personal, and everything is within you know, a stone's throw. Those are the kinds of things we want to recreate uh, I know that there are measures that we that we have to take just just to accommodate telephone poles and cars and you know things like that. But I know that we've also incorporated some some best practices in terms of parking requirements. So commercial developments right now, new ones, whether they're infill or or redevelopment of existing, the only parking requirements now are for residential. And so that has allowed our commercial um, development, I think, to evolve a little bit more organically like it happened back in the day. Um, and again, we have amended our zoning so that the building footprints are smaller, so we're not seeing mass and scale where they look different from the front, but you know they're all attached in the back. You know, we're avoiding that. Some of our newest projects coming online the, the buildings are separate. They are separated by actual separation. You can see right through them. So um, in that respect, I think, yeah, I think you could recreate at least the look and feel that people seem to respond positively to in a historic city. Although, um, you know, if you, you, you have to experience a one lane road with narrow sidewalks and eight foot snow banks to appreciate sometimes a little bit of modernization is, is just right. Jack, you look yeah, yeah, I, I want to follow up. Um, I, I want to ask each of you a little bit about challenges that you've faced. And I'm going to give you a specific one. Nancy, I want to talk to you about uh, just the age uh, kind of breakdown or the age diversity struggles that you all have. 
Uh, I know one of the things that I got last week in my trip to New Hampshire was that New Hampshire's, I was told over and over again, the second oldest state in the country. And it's interesting because I thought you meant like the second oldest, like you're the, you've been around a lot. Minnesota was founded in 1858. You're like early. No, no, no. You meant actually age wise. Uh, this is pretty, there's a lot of old people here and not a lot of young people. Talk a little bit about that challenge and about what you're doing in Portsmouth uh, to try to address that. Cause it, it is a struggle for uh, the entire Northeast really. It is, and, and New Hampshire is, is in, the, in you know, ground zero for that. We have incredibly uh, high student debt in New Hampshire. Um, our public university is as expensive as some private universities, just because New Hampshire, we don't fund anything. That's another story. But, um, and so students end up leaving for higher education, and then they don't come back. That in combination with the fact that not just in Portsmouth, but all across the southern part of New Hampshire, um, the housing situation, whether you're talking about renting or buying, it's, it's very expensive here um, compared to other regions and other places. So, so what we're doing in Portsmouth, we're kind of lucky in Portsmouth because we do have demographically um, more young people than some of the surrounding cities and towns. Um, but we're trying again when I when I mentioned earlier about the incentive-based zoning. You know, we're trying to introduce not just the the idea of affordable housing, whether that means micro units or ADUs, accessory dwelling units, but we're trying to give um, the opportunity to incentivize uh, and developers to come in with more creative projects. Um, we don't have the ability to pass legislation at the municipal level that requires any such kind of housing, unlike some of our neighboring states. So all we can do right now is incentivize and um, work with developers to bring things online. And, and it's a challenge, it's a challenge for us, but, but there are some, there are, as long as we're building housing, you know, you do see a shift, you know, even if it's on the higher end, that means that somebody in the middle end of housing might move up, might move up, and so that then becomes available, and somebody maybe leaving a starter home to move into the middle. So as long as we're building housing, we're addressing the issue, and we are building a lot of new residential units are coming online in the near future, um, and in both in rental and in condo um, as well. So. That's the way we're addressing it. And of course, you know, people want to come young and old to Portsmouth for all the entertainment and, and fun. I mean, it's just a super, super fun place to be. And that doesn't hurt, you know, that brings people in. And then they try to figure out what can they do to, to stay, you know, how, how can we keep them here? Quinn, uh, Quinn I, want to, I want to switch over to you. And I want to ask you a little bit about the poverty in, in Pensacola and some of the things that have been done to address that. I, I know uh, as a Minnesotan, Pensacola, the Florida Panhandle, the Sandy Beaches, it, it seems like a dream paradise, especially in January and February. Uh, but I was kind of surprised that, you know, it, this is a real city with a lot of real struggles and, and poverty is one of them. There's some very poor neighborhoods uh, and there's some places that have really struggled. What are some of the things that Pensacola has done uh, to try to address that over, over time? Well, I think one is get out of denial. 
I think, you know, as a community, when I used to speak around the country and I travel in healthcare, I talk about our poverty in Pensacola. People say, well, I didn't think it was poor. I mean, I said, well, where'd you go? Well, we went to the beach. And I said, well, right, you drove right over Pensacola. I think we, like many southern towns, lost a great many of our minority population because of racism and lack of opportunity that moved to places like Birmingham, Atlanta, Chicago, and so on. So it's been a real struggle, still is. And so uh, we, uh, we're even in. We're near declaring victory. A few things I think are working. I know it sounds long-term, but I think this idea of telling the, the young mothers, we have 5,000 births in Escambia County every year, making sure moms know the power they have to build the brain. And we've had some real good statistics on 9,000 mothers so far. The average mother, when she rates her now to build her brain before our tutorials is 6.5, after is 9.5. I think that it comes into really some of the work that um, our Commissioner Lumen May is doing, really getting out into the communities. Um, this job training, the one thing we did, I think, really paramount is we created a covenant for the community. And I started it privately, which means if you do a project, and at least our company did projects, we did a lot of them, 70% of the employees had to be local. And now the county's adopted that. And I think in uh, May, the city's going to adopt that. And that means that we found that when we put that in, 51% of the workers that worked on a $52 million project were minorities, and over 70 of the people were local. So I think the covenant for the community is really one of the ways we adapt, because that forces people to put in training programs, apprenticeship, and so on. And, you know, I think you have to be willing to look what's wrong, but it's easy. Anybody can find what's wrong. Anybody can point out what's bad. So you got to sort of talk about what's wrong, as a as a final question we've got kind of a tradition here that we have uh, that we've done and i it's okay if you say i i don't know um but i'm wondering if either of you know anything about the other community i i wonder quint if you've if you've ever been to portsmouth if you know anything about portsmouth and, and nancy uh, likewise, I wonder if you uh, have any experience with Pensacola. Um, Quint, I'll start with you. Uh, ever been to Portsmouth, New Hampshire, or been to that region of the world? Anything that you, uh, any impressions you have? Yeah, I think in my work, I've been in everywhere, and I've certainly been in New Hampshire and, and so on. I think, again, the quaintness, the ruralness of it, but also the, the water of it. And I think these are just these classic Eastern cities that you got to just love. Because they have that, that sense of history with the sense of, um, you know, resiliency. Because they've been around forever, just like we have. We, you know, been around 450 years. You go through a lot of ups and downs. And I've been, I listened to um, Nancy's podcast. So I listened and uh, I'm really impressed. I think it's just an honor for us to even be in the same competition with Portland. So um, we're, we're thrilled. And I hope we can continue to learn from all the cities that were on the final 16 certainly all of them are very deserving thank you nancy uh any experience with pensacola or any thoughts i have never been but i also listened to quint's podcast and that's why i had butterflies in my stomach getting ready for today because i thought he did such a great job um i was struck by the similarities between portsmouth and pensacola um, Pensacola is a military town, just like Portsmouth. He specifically mentioned there's a lot of retired military, which sometimes means that change can be hard. And boy, did that ring true and resonate uh, with me. Um, and I also think that, you know, we, we're, we're both towns that, that are destination towns 
that most people come to and think of, you know, oh, it'd be so great to be here. What a lovely place to visit. But people live and work here, you know, and we have our own challenges. And, you know, it's a Portsmouth is a beautiful town, but 30% of our students are on free or reduced lunch, you know. So they're both real communities with real problems and um, no sales tax, no income tax. So there's a lot of similarities. And, and I do hope to get to Pensacola as well as Safety Harbor. I'm really dying to go see the bowling ball house. Um, so yeah, I, I've never been, but I sure am compelled to after this. Well, I have the lucky opportunity to be able to go to, I have been in both of these places and they're both uh, very worthy of, of this conversation. I'm flattered to have both of you uh, not only here today, but, but to have been part of this entire uh, competition. We love being able to showcase great places and you are both among the, the great places in this country that are worthy of, uh, of showcasing, not just because you're, you're great and you've got great things happening. But I think for us too, it's part of the struggle. I mean, you both have uh, worked very hard. You both continue to work very hard. You both have, uh, you know, both communities have warts and things that uh, they're working on to get better. Um, but that's part of the process. It's never done. And I'm looking forward to getting to one of these two places to be able to give you a, a plaque and an award and, uh, and really celebrate that community. I want to talk to, yeah, I want to talk to the people who are listening today. Uh, this is the end of our tournament. We are going to open up voting here in about an hour and a half, two hours. And uh, that voting will go from now until, I believe, Daniel, Thursday at noon central time. Uh, that's correct. And then we will, uh, on Friday, be naming the uh, 2019 Strongest Town. Uh, I encourage everybody to take the time to vote. I know there's a lot of people in both communities that are excited about their place. I want to specifically encourage our members uh, to vote. And not only vote, but, but go on our website and tell people why you're voting the way you're voting. A big part of this contest is celebrating these great places. Uh, but another part of it is talking about Strong Town's principles. How do these places embody uh, what we as a movement, what we as, a, as an organization believe, uh, and how can we demonstrate that to other communities across the country that are looking for good examples? So help us continue to make this contest very successful. Vote. Uh, I would say vote early and vote often, but your vote only counts once, no matter how often you vote. <laughs> uh, um, Nancy, thank you so much for, for everything you've done to be part of this contest. I, I wish you and Portsmouth a lot of luck. Uh, thank you for, uh, for applying and being part of the Strongest Town 2019 contest. It was my pleasure. It was a lot of fun and I learned a lot. Thank you so much. And Quint, uh, always so very nice to talk to you. Uh, I, I love Pensacola again, and I'm, I'm so uh, thrilled that you all have taken the time and the energy uh, to be part of this. Thank you for uh, being here and, and good luck in the uh, contest. But I think we're like Portsmouth. You know, there's nobody saying we're perfect. Nobody's saying we're there. And I think the key thing is not to declare victory and just every day wake up and say, how do we make our communities just a little bit better today? So thank you. Well, thank you. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, get out there and keep doing what you can to build a strong town. Take care, everybody. Taking risk is a necessity to becoming rich. It's also a necessity to go bankrupt. Bill, 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 Bill. 
That's the story. They know that America's one big pothole right now. Just to echo what you said, there are no silver bullet solutions. Chuck Marone, this has been fascinating. Who made this city? The window is not always open, but if nobody's pushing, then once the window opens, there'll be no chance to go through. I like you. I like your vision of the, of the world. The United Nations Earth Summit. Agenda 21. Yeah.